You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. You're listening to episode 12 in the Ultimate House Hacking Guide for Denver. So in this episode, Jeff White leads this episode and he walks us through what do you do after you close on your property? How do you rent out the house? What technology to use? How to set up the room by room infrastructure? Uh, fair housing law considerations and all sorts of other great stuff. So it's uh, done by me, Joe and Jeff. But here's Jeff taking it away. Enjoy the show. Well, thanks, Joe. Um, yeah, my name's Jeff White. I'm an active Denver house hacker and also house hacking coach that helps uh, people out with finding the best strategies to maximize their returns and making sure their house hacking portfolio is optimized to the best of their ability. So leading into it, let's talk about you just closed and you're saying, okay, I got the property I want uh, in a location I want, fits what my partner wants. Okay, now I have to go fill this the rooms or other spaces up. How do I do that? So first things first, you really want to know, you got to start at the national level. You got to say, okay. We got these fair housing laws, and um, they're basically described, and you can look them up to get the exact definition, but you really need to know you can't, when you're getting tenants, you can't discriminate based on race, gender, creed, national origin, religion, um, and disability status. And then also, you have to look at what your local county and city, so they might have additional layers on top of that that might prohibit different types of protected classes that um, aren't at the national level. And then there's this thing called for house hackers, especially um, that are living in um, house hackers that are buying a residence where they're renting by the rooms. It's called Miss Murphy's exemption. Have you heard of this, Chris or Joe? I ha- I have. I actually, uh, years ago, uh, I actually talked in depth to a property manager about this, sort of on the ins and outs. It's really interesting. Uh, how about you, Joe? I've never heard of the Mrs. Murphy exemption. I know sort of vaguely that if you're living in the property, that there's some rules you may be able to ignore. Um, so I'm really interested to hear about this, though. I didn't know there was an actual word for it or like a, like a term yeah. for the exemption. Yeah, and actually, Miss Murphy is a hypothetical person. There's not a real Miss Murphy out there. I think that was just the example or the to build this exemption up. They just came up with that name. But basically, yeah, you uh, technically, if you live in a house, townhouse, condo where you're sharing space, so you're just renting the rooms. Um, you could technically the you're exempt from the fair housing laws. So if you wanted someone. You only wanted people with one arm to rent your place. Um, and that's it. You said, okay, I want people with one arm. Uh, you could technically do that and not rent to anybody else but people with just one arm, if that's what you wanted. <laughs> and that's because it's your, it's your primary. Because you're, you're saying, hey, I'm moving this person into my house. So I can, I mean, basically, you can discriminate. Is that right? 
That that is correct. You can discriminate because uh, it's the the hypothetical. The Miss Murphy's like, well, I don't, um, you know, I'm a a lady that you know I don't want uh, young kids living here. You know, people under I'm six year old lady. I don't want people twenty five year old kids living with me. So I don't want to rent to twenty five year olds. Uh, I only want people the same age as me. So technically, that would be against fair ho- fair uh, housing laws, but because you live there as your primary residence and you're just renting the other, the other rooms, you get you could do what you're most comfortable with because it's your private residence and primary residence. And the way the property manager described this to me years ago, because I was actually looking at our notes before, I pulled up my notes on this because this is something, you know, I mentioned like once a year, Jeff. An example he used with me was like, yeah, think about it if you're, you know, you had a 25-year-old single uh, female there and they want to, you know, they want to rent out two bedrooms a house. They probably don't want two, you know, 40 year old guys moving in. They probably want other young females moving with them in there. And therefore they can basically discriminate against, you know, only having females in there with them. Uh, but I would definitely recommend, you know, just as, as a disclaimer for all of us out there, you know, we are giving you the highlights of some fair housing laws. Make sure you definitely uh, check with the appropriate websites. Double check with a lawyer because we're giving you what we know about this and just saying, hey, make sure you research this. Because something else the property manager told with me, and I'm just going to read my notes here, uh, basically says, uh, Colorado exempts landlords from fair housing laws when it's an owner-occupied single-family residence. So not duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. However, if you're a practitioner of real estate, you own multiple properties or hire a property management company to find a tenant, then Miss Murphy's exemption does not apply. Regardless, you can never advertise with discriminatory language. Right. And there's also one extra exception to this exemption. Do you remember what that is, Chris? On That's all that. I have in my notes right there, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's if you own three, uh, three uh, greater than three properties, technically you no longer could do that. So if you're on your fourth property, you can no longer, technically speaking, no longer, um, do, you know, use this Miss Murphy exemption anymore after you own uh, three, four properties or more. So that's uh, something I thought was interesting because a lot of house hackers don't just stop at three. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, it's, it's good to know, especially, you know, as we've talked about in the past modules, a lot of times we have, you know, it's all about uh, mixing and matching your, uh, your personal needs with the investment property. And depending on what type of homeowner you are, you know, whether you are a, you know, a, a single guy, a single woman or a family, there's going to be, you know, certain types of tenants you do, you do or don't want living with you for obviously uh, very personal reasons. And this is a way that help, help people get the, the right tenants in there with them. Yep. And then leading into the next. So yeah, definitely. I'm not a lawyer. So definitely do your research on the fair housing laws and know your applicable um, county and city too, because they might have additional requirements that are not in the fair housing laws. Um, and then leading into the next point, uh, you get you, you learn the laws, you learn what applies to your city. You only want to rent to people with one arm. And then now you're saying, okay, I want to advertise my property. And this is where a lot of people get hung up and think, okay, 
I need to find, you know, create this perfect advertisement. I need to take great pictures. I need to do this. I need to do that. Um, to start, you basically just need, you already have pictures, most likely from the listing. Um, and make sure you can get permission from the listing. Actually, actually brings up another question. Chris, is there any uh, le- legal issues with using the pictures from a listing? Yeah, there are. I mean, that's okay. actually because, you know, uh, assuming with most uh, properties that are listing, you know, the, the listing agent who lists the property for the seller, they typically go out there and pay a photographer 200 or $300 to go out there and take the photos. And then that listing agent actually has the copyrights, those images. So you're not allowed to use those unless you have permission to, to use them. So okay. you bring up a good point. So definitely make sure you get permission if you do want to use them. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, there is a chance you, you know, you can't get in trouble for it, which is just not worth it. Right. So definitely get approval from that listing agent. If you want, if those pictures are awesome, if not, um, then just go in and take, um, between five to 10 pictures. Um, go ahead. I would say, and this actually makes me, I think we've probably done this with you, Jeff. I can't remember, you know, specific transactions, but you know, a lot of times this is, you know, we've actually asked as a buyer's agent on behalf of our clients to the listing agent. Uh, I, I can think of quite a few times you asked me, Hey, uh, it, was it all right with you and the seller if we, if our buyer, you know, keeps some of these listing photos and uses them to help advertise the property, run out a couple of rooms? We've never had anyone say no. That's like, Oh yeah, thanks for checking. Of course, go use it. And it's really not a big deal. So it's definitely worth that email to ask. Um, and I've never had any pushback on there. I'm sure there will be, but definitely <laughs> ask. And most people don't care. Yeah. And then that, um, so with, because usually the, because a listing agent is taking, in theory, the best pictures possible of the property, um, those are going to be really good pictures. Either it's from a professional photographer or the listing agent itself. They probably spend a lot of time finding the best angles and making sure it showcases the spacing and the kitchen and all that. So those pictures, if you get approval, um, usually do the good job of where you start from. The next, you want to really build out a good, simple, you know, bold point like, okay, what's, why should this, why should someone live in this property? And you want to keep it very simple, just, Think about if you have 10, 15 seconds to read something, like you're doing like a newspaper byline, um, you got to draw people's attention. Pictures will bring people in and then you want to get quick and to the point because a ton of people, when they do eventually respond to your ad, they're not, they, they never even read your description. So you want to keep it short and to the point because some people do, but most people aren't going to read like three par- like a five paragraph essay. So you don't want to be too, um, long. And the best way to do that is just look at other um, ads out there and just really build yours to apply, okay, what's what, what are the strengths of my property? What's it next to? Imagine you're trying to... Someone doesn't know anything about your property uh, or room or unit and you have to sell them. Okay, like, what's it next? Like, is it next to light rail? Is it next to a park? Is it next to schools? Is it next to uh, other public transportation? Is it next to a lot of retail and restaurants? So imagine they know nothing about it and you have to sell them on why they should live there. And then that's where you could build your ad from. 
and keep it, yeah, basically, I would say a paragraph or two, but not too much because, again, you're just drawing people into pictures and then keeping it simple so they could follow up with you and then you could give them more information. Pretty much just draw them in so you could get the funnel rolling so you get a lot of leads and then you can whittle them out when they start um, coming in. You're like, okay, then you start asking them when they start asking more questions about it and they say, oh, that's too far. Because most, again, it goes back to they don't read the listing. <laughs> yeah, and Jeff, I, yeah. I want to really, you, you said uh, some gold right there. I really want to emphasize to people because, um, you know, I, again, I, I don't, I use a property manager, but I've definitely written my fair share of ads for everything from just, you know, selling items on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace to running tons of ad copy over the years. And you said there, the point of that ad copy is to get the person to engage with you. So typically, you know, an email or a phone call or a text message or a private message. It's not to give them all the details on the property because I'm sure you can attest this, but no matter, you can put every detail in there mm. and the person will be like, hey, is this next to light rail? And you'll be like, dude, that's like the first four effing words in the pair, <laughs> in the ad copy. Don't you read it? Because no matter what, like people aren't going to read all of it. They're still going to ask you questions that are in the ad copy, but you hit it. It's It's not to get all the details of the property or make them understand all the details, but to get them to engage with you, to start that conversation, to start that next part of the sales process. Yeah, it's pretty much, yeah, I would say of all the years I've list, uh, basically put ads out there, I would say a good half of them don't even read it and they just shoot the same message over to 10 different people and whoever gets back to them, they'll respond to so you pretty much have to start a conversation or um, usually when it's by text um, or just a Facebook message. So that's just uh, pretty much you got to come in knowing that you're not going to get people to no matter how you could spend hours and hours and hours um, coming up with this perfect ad and all that. And that's where I think that's the big thing. And I think Chris, you could speak on that too is like, the perfect ad doesn't exist. And if you spend hours upon hours, by the time you finally tweak it, it's, you're already a month behind of when you're, you could have been showing your property and finding somebody because it's, uh, complete, uh, to me, the sooner you get it out, it doesn't have, perfect is really boring. You know, you don't need the perfect ad and people don't care. They just want a place that's reasonably priced that looks good in pictures and that looks, uh, is good in real life as the pictures as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think short and sweet on the description, but really good photos. I mean, we all spend time on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and we all know the importance of photos. Uh, it's important on selling real estate. It's important on social media. It's important on getting your room or your property uh, rented as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, so you got the ad, you got the photos, and so now you're ready to put it uh, put it up there and get some leads rolling in and finding, finding those tenants. So where do you where do you put the ad? Um, I could tell you where not to put the ad to start because that's a lot that's easiest. A lot of people think uh, people shop Craigslist is a great place for certain things. Um, finding tenants is not one of them <laughs> anymore. It used to be probably five to ten years ago, and I know a lot. I know some people still like it. I think it really depends again on. Your area, but assuming this is, you know, this property is in Denver Metro, you're gonna not find the most quality leads on Craigslist. I've, you know, I've 
I've had tested it. I've done different ads, different times a day, and it's a real mixed bag. And the quality, you know, I would say is lower quality compared to the other ones. Um, so Craigslist, I would say, is at the bottom. For rent signs, I would say is right after that. Um, I know they work. I've also done that. Again, the problem with the for rent signs is you'll probably get people that what I found is people that you know drive by the area or like live close by and they'd like want to move so they they kind of have um they know that the good the good part is they know the area but they unfortunately think they you know they they think they can get a deal it's almost, it's kind of different it's they almost think because they saw saw the sign they could like negotiate more or they could be more creative um that's what i've noticed with the forensic signs is they think they have some in on it because they saw a sign it's really weird um and then the the big thing the big ones i would say are most effective is going online especially even whether you're doing renting a whole unit or you're renting by the room your most amount of leads most people are on their phones all day long and the most successful the two best ones i found is or call it um yeah two but i'll call the second one really three companies but it's really all in this all in one because they own the other ones so the first one is the best one is facebook marketplace and Facebook Marketplace is interesting because you think, oh, Facebook, people just go on there to, um, you know, waste time, basically, and, yeah. you know, not be, uh, do anything effective. But surprisingly, this other part of Facebook, this marketplace, people buy and sell stuff, and that includes properties, um, more so for renting. Um, I don't think they have much of a buying and selling real estate on there yet. It's, uh, but for renting, I found this one to be almost overwhelming. So last time, last few property, last few times I've used Facebook Marketplace, I've gotten in a matter of like a week over a hundred inquiries. I lost basically last time I did it, I lost count of how many people reached out to me. I couldn't keep up with it. And Jeff, and now, for that yeah. uh, example, what? Yeah. You know, was that a a room rental, a whole unit rental? Yeah. What were you advertising on there? This was just a basic ten by twelve run of the mill room rental. Nothing fancy about it, but I had really good pictures of the place. It was more a little more updated. Um, okay, locate you know Southwest Denver location, but the big thing was the pictures told the story more so than my ad. So I had just so many, and I priced it really well. I priced it at the seven hundred dollars, um, seven hundred dollars a month type price. So that's right um, in the ballpark of what we talked about before of what you can get per room, but not on the. I didn't try to shoot for the moon and say, okay, I want eight fifty per room or something like that. Um, so doing those things, make great pictures, and pricing it right, you'll get a ton of interest, especially. If you time it in certain months, and we'll talk about that a little later. And the nice thing too about Facebook, if you're not getting the leads you want, you could also do a, a little budget as well and then start targeting and moving it up. Um, 
And then Chris, I think you know a little about this. So when you do like ads and you do budgets, how much does has that made a difference in your business? For advertising? Yeah. Uh, well, it generally goes two ways. Uh, one way is it has zero impact. The other way is that, you know, it helps drive eyeballs on there. And I've never done any type of like, you know, Facebook marketplace advertising. I know like Facebook in general, um, you know, they want to, you know, they, they want you to spend their money so they can help you promote it. So I have found to test it out as just a testing. Hey, spend 20 to $30 on there because you know, 20, 30 bucks, who cares about that amount of money? Spend 20 or $30 as a small test amount to see what type of traction you're getting. Um, and then that can tell you more, hey, I should keep doing this more. Maybe it's not worth the amount of money I'm spending on there. Yeah, and I've done, uh, I've done both. I've done like a, some, sometimes I boosted it when I felt like, oh, maybe I timed it wrong when I posted it. Uh, so it's called, yeah, boosting. And you could do like a little budget of five to 20 bucks. And then that's where sometimes you just got to try different things, try different times a day. Um, but yeah, if you, if you go back to the basic principles with great pictures, simple description, you'll draw in the interest and build that funnel up where you'll have you or your property manager will have so many leads um, that you then could go to the next step. But Facebook's easily number one. And that's I found that not just for the room rentals, but just general units as well. I just surprisingly... Uh, the interest for renting on Facebook is fantastic. Uh, just the demographics. I, th- I think it's because there's so many people on there. And they're just like, oh, let me go check out what's, what can I rent around my... And you could search. And, but uh, the pictures tell the story. If you could have great pictures, you'll get the interest. And then as long as your pictures aren't deceiving, like some uh, listings, <laughs> if, it looks, if it looks like that in real life, then people, you'll get plenty of applications on the back end. So upfront, great pictures, simple description, and also just being able to follow up. But that's also something we'll talk about a little later. Um, The next number two, it's really three websites, but really it's one. You post on Zillow, and then Zillow takes your post and your uh, your ad and puts it on Trulia and Hotpads. But the one catch is when you do room rentals, Zillow does not put that on Zillow for some reason, but they do put it on Trulia and Hotpads. Versus if you... Yeah, I know. <laughs> the versus if you do uh, the whole unit, um, they'll post on all three websites. And this is the number two based on Quantity and quality. Uh, Facebook number one, Zillow number two. Zillow, Zillow, Zillow truly a hot pads, really. It's all three in one. Um, and then number three and four uh, and five, they're all kind of bunched in together. Um, they're all basic apps on your phone. So really targeting more for room rentals. And actually, that's the name of these apps too, uh, except for the last one. Roomster, <laughs> Roomies, and then the last one's Cozy. And we'll talk more about Cozy as well because it's all-encompassing uh, property management, screening tenants, 
And also, it advertises your list, your ad to um, Realtor, like I believe not uh, apartments.com and some other websites. It has like a database. Um, but all three of those I found to be mixed bags. Sometimes you get people, sometimes you don't. But it's good. I think the most important thing is you don't want to just rely on one place. That's where I'd say separate, separates myself from other people is I don't just say, okay, I'm just going to put a sign out there for rent sign. I'll just take what I can get or just only list on Facebook Marketplace or only on Zillow or only on you know, using Roomster. I post on everything because you, sometimes you don't know. You might find... Uh, I'm always looking for the newer websites or apps that are better than the next. So how am I going to know that if I don't try each one and then track it and say, okay, I got, um, I got more tenants from Zillow on this listing versus last time it was all Facebook Marketplace. Or I got some really good quality from Roomster this time. Um, so maybe I should look into using that for my next property um, or my next vacancy. And those are the main ones I've used. I know there's other ones. Um, any other ones that you guys use in the past that's not on here? No. Uh, I mean, we, we've both said this before, like we, you know, we use property managers and that's why I wanted to bring you on here because I mean, you, you know, you're, you're in the trenches on here where we're not. So this is great. I'm I'm learning a lot, a lot right now. Do you know what your property manager uses? Um, I, I don't, I, you know, I know they post it, you know, again, we're not doing room by room rentals, but I think, you know, they post it to their website, Zillow, uh, truly a hot paths. And yeah, I think a lot of property managers with their software, They've got those aggregators where they you know, they post it once and then it, it pushes out to all the other platforms. That's minor setting for most property managers. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Uh, I'm not mistaken. Zumper.com is one of those where you post it there and then it goes out to a bunch of other websites. So I know there's ones like that. Um, but I think with all these, it's especially when you're first starting out, you just want to try each of them. You know, maybe you find Craigslist. Maybe you're you're a, you're a great you're great at Craigslist, and you somehow get great uh, leads that way. You know, then awesome for you. Um, maybe find Roomsters better. You know, just it, that's why it's important to not just rely on one and you know really focus in on pushing your ad out to as many places as possible because you really don't know when you're the the tenant the, or the yeah the tenant you eventually do accept will come from because that could change and then like. Like I said, you always want to constantly look for the next app, the next website that's more effective than the next. Um, because whenever you're listening to this, these all might be outdated. There might be a better one. Um, but that's the way keep an open mind. And then you'll find the more tenants you have to choose from, the more you can screen, the more you screen, and then you end up with the best, most qualified tenant. And that's really the end goal of all of this. Yeah. Hey, I want to add one thing, Jeff. Like, like Chris, I have a property manager and they handle all of it. Um, but I have some clients that are really good, just like yourself, that they manage properties themselves. And one thing that I was really struck by that they do um, is immediately upon getting the property, if there's any renovations or anything that needs to be done, um, they make sure the property is clean, they finish any renovations, and before moving in, um, or I guess that's not true, they'll stage it lightly with some of their own furniture before fully moving in. And then they'll have virtuants come in and do professional photographs. Um, you know, cost 150 bucks or whatever it is. 
And then they'll create a little, um, almost like a blog page. And let's say the property is 123 Main Street. They'll buy the domain name 123 Main Street for rent, 123MainStreetForRent.com. And they'll attach this blog and it, it won't have links or anything. It's really just one simple page. But then that's what they'll put up and link to on Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist. Um, and they keep that website so that next year when they've got a turnover, they've already got the pictures done. They don't have to go and do it all over again. Would you say that you do the same, that you duplicate and save a lot of the stuff? I would assume yes. you're not going in and taking pictures every time, right? No, no, I don't. Actually, if anything, because the reality is when tenants leave, they're likely, you know, not going to clean the room and it's going to look pretty bad. So you, don't really worse want, you, don't, along, you don't really want to take a picture of that and show that. That's why sometimes um, the photos do, do all the selling for you. You don't even sometimes have to sell them on it. They're already sold. As long as it looks somewhat like the pictures, they'll want uh, application and, you know, want to rent from you. That's where I like that idea that they they do all that work in the front because um, and I do something somewhat similar. I, I kind of do medium staging. Um, it's you know having you want to give the people an idea of what it looks like in those. You know, ideally, you don't want just an empty room because they, people don't have imaginations. They're not just going like oh I can put my bed here, my dresser here. You kind of want to give them an idea what it looks like. And I think a great example to look at for that. Um, Go to Airbnb and take a look at some of those listings um, and look how they furnish it and seeing, oh, like that's, that's interesting. They furnish it this way. That looks really modern. That looks really good. And then maybe um, create that look. Or you know, if you're just taking one bedroom and you have a modern furniture yourself, you could put that in the other bedrooms and then take pictures. And, um, and then you have a good batch for future. So that's... No, I like that. I, I really don't. Uh, I either use um, with approval from the listing agent, the pictures from the listing, or I go in and take pictures myself. Ideally, um, I would want it furnished, but not always the case. Sometimes if it looks good and I could get a good angle, I just take it without any furniture in there because it's already pretty clean at that time. Love it. Oh, uh, yeah. And then we'll get into the different uh, strategies too to fill your vacancy sometimes the first week or two when you close, after you close. So we'll talk about that a little later. So going into the next uh, part of this. So you got, you got your funnel rolling. You got tons of people reaching out to you. You've reached out to them. You scheduled some showings. Um, a lot of people get hung up on this too. It's like, okay, I work a full-time W-2 job. I'm, you know, in the office from eight to five, eight to five thirty. Um, you know, I can't just go home and do these showings in the middle of the day. Um, what should I do? So what I found to be most effective is don't waste your time with setting up individual showings for every person because you'll drive yourself crazy. Um, so for example, someone say, Oh, I could be there from you could say what I used to do in the past was individual showings. Okay, from 4 to 4.30, from 4.30 to 5, from 5 to 5.30, 5.36, and so forth. The issue I found with that is the people from 4 to 5 never showed up. So I'm just sitting there for one hour. Um, a complete waste of time. <laughs> and, yeah. and it wasn't effective because another thing you have to really think about, no matter what I've 
I've done this, I've calculated this plenty of times. No matter what you do, you could confirm an hour before, two hours before by text, by phone call, by Facebook message. There still will be a 50% flake rate. So just already put that in your numbers. If you have 10 people that are supposed to come, five people will show up. You might get you know, seven people one time and then three people the next time. But on average, I found from all, like pretty much all my showings, 50% uh, flake rate easily, no matter what you do. I've done the confirmations a day before, an hour before. They really don't make a difference. And then people message you afterwards. Oh, uh, sorry, I missed it. Could I reschedule? And then it's up to you if you want to do that. But going back to showings, instead of doing individual, the best thing to do is just do windows. So a group showings, kind of like an open house for realtors, but apply to uh, showing a rental. So you say, okay, um, prospective tenants from 5.30 to 7.30, anyone could show up. And then you just schedule everyone in that that time period. So there's no more individual, you're sitting around waiting for people or you're, you know, whatnot. You you know people are not going to show up, but it doesn't matter to you because the people that do show up, those are the ones you'll get your attention and you can talk to and show them the place. And group showings, so yeah, the, and then the best times to schedule I found to be evenings on weekdays, usually Tuesday, Wednesday during the week, and then weekends around 12 to 2 or 1 to 3 on Saturdays, I found to be most effective. Um, sometimes you get the person that says, oh, could I be there at 3.30 on Saturday? And then again, it's up to you um, if you want to fit them in or push them to next week. And another thing too is you want to schedule these sooner rather than later. You don't want to say, put your ad on on a Monday and then basically... Say, okay, all my showings are going to be on Saturday from 12 to 2. Because now you have those five days where you you have plenty of people being interested. And they might want to see it or that, you know, evenings might be the only time they could do it because they work on weekends. And you might miss out on some really quality applicants. So don't... If you're going to put your ad out, try to make sure you have time in the, the, ne- the couple, next couple of days to do showings. You're going to have to... You know, be flexible. You're going to have to do sometimes you might have to do back to back. You might have to go Monday evening and Tuesday evening and Thursday evening. Um, hopefully, you know, you're only doing it a few times and then you get enough applications where you don't have to do it the following week. That's pretty much the goal is you want to get enough people in, show it. And as long as it's priced right, you get some applicants. And then from those applicants, you can screen down to the one you accept. So, on those lines, screening your tenants. If you remember what I talked about in the previous slide, Cozy.co is the all-encompassing free resource website where you get, it handles it all for you. So this piece we're talking about now is screening. So it does... You set up an account. It gives you a link. And then that link is what you sent. So instead of you having to print an application and then or having to collect payments from a prospective applicant, you just send them this cozy.co link. They go onto that website, create an account, fill out the application, and then you get 
and then they pay the $40 background check, credit check. So you, it's out of your hands. You don't have to say, oh, give me, you know, you don't, you don't have to worry about them saying, oh, is he collecting, is he making money off me from uh, charging me $50 for a background credit check when it's really 40? You know, things like some people are hesitant to just pay money. It's completely out of your hands. It's all third party provider. You don't have to worry. The prospective applicant doesn't have to worry. And it's a streamlined process. So it really makes it simple. And so they fill out the application. You get a full background, credit check, um, and it even does um, looks at if they even beyond the back. The background goes in really in depth too, not just your simple background. It checks if you've had any bankrupt bankruptcies, if you do, if you're on the sexual predator list, and one other thing too, but it's really extensive background. Um, 40 bucks, they pay directly. And this brings in the fun part, which I'm sure Joe loves, the underwriting. You so, know it, man. <laughs> hey, I had one question. How long does it take for that background check to come back? If they go in, they fill uh, out, and they pay the 40 bucks. how long do you get it? You get an email saying they completed it, and it, it tells you instantaneously. So you already know wow. right away, like, okay, uh, Tom Jones completed uh, filling out the background or the application and the background of credit check are available for you to view. And uh, that's another nice benefit. People get concerned about hard credit pulls. I know Joe deals that all the time. Um, this uh, credit pull is a soft credit pull. And the way they did, they did this is they run... The person gives permission to run the credit, but it's um, they share the permission so with the landlord, so it's not a hard pull on their credit. So that's another nice feature of Cozy. Hmm, very cool. Um, and then yeah, so lead into that, we got the fun underwriting part, and this is probably easily the most underlooked or the thing that people sometimes rush through, but it's easily the most important. And I Joe, I know Joe understands this part very much because you don't just give out loans to people that say they want a loan and they don't provide documentation or support of why they deserve a loan. Yeah. This, this step, this is how you're going to guarantee that you're getting paid your rent every month, which for you, Jeff, as a landlord trickles down to how you're going to pay your mortgage every month. Um, this, this piece is, is absolutely critical. I'm, I'm really excited to hear the way you do it. Yeah. And this probably is, I would say the most important slide to make sure you could build, not just make this successful one property, but many properties. Because if you don't screen and and minimize your headaches, because if you don't screen people right, um, then it won't set you up for long-term success. So let's talk about underwriting and dealing, really understanding each applicant. So they filled out the application. They the background check came out clear, the credit check pulled up. And so what do you really want to know from all the stuff? So this is good information. So background check, you're looking for any issues in their past related to judgments. Judgments are a thing that people don't really necessarily know what that means. But if you've had an eviction... Usually, the landlord or apartment um, company 
is going to put a judgment for how much they owe. Um, and then that will be on their background check and potentially the credit check as well. I know, Joe, you probably noticed that on people's credit reports. They see, you see judgments sometimes, I'm sure. Yep, absolutely. And that can be a concern because that's uh, someone previous that they didn't pay, particularly, you know, in this line of work, if it were a, a, a apartment complex, right? And there's a $3,000 judgment that they didn't pay their last month's rent or they didn't, uh, they tore up the property, right? Those are things I'd be concerned with. Yeah. And I think a big thing too is people will lie to your face all the time. You got to assume they're not, <laughs> unfortunately, I hate to say this. You got to assume people are not going to tell you to your face. You could ask them, you know, very straightforward and legal questions. Have you had an eviction? Have you had a judgment? Have you had a bankruptcy? And they could say, no, no, no. And it could have been 20 years ago, they had a bankruptcy, but they think it was dropped off and you won't notice it. But if that pops up, then you ought to like, can you trust this person for other information if they can't be straightforward with you about a 20 year old bankruptcy? And that's where you're trying to find little, what you're trying to use information that they can't lie about, like their credit report, their background check, um, and then confirming a few more things that we'll talk about. But so rent, whatever, this is more for, well, room rentals and just an overall good rule to practice is whatever the you're, you determine the rent to be ideally you want people to make three times or more gross income per month compared to that the rent how much that monthly rent is and i don't know if chris or joe does your does your property manager set anything like that for minimum thresholds for yeah uh, rent i mean I know my property managers, they do, you know, a three times rent to income ratio. And that seems to be like the industry standard. Yep. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, property managers have to have, um, I think it's, M- they call it MPC, minimum published criteria, right? So they have some real strict requirements. This is our minimum credit score, minimum rent to income ratio, no bankruptcies, no judgments, no foreclosures. Um, and as, a, as an individual, I think you can be a little more flexible. But I think you hit the nail on the head, Jeff. You want to really find out, are they telling me the truth? That, that's really what underwriting is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you, you know, again, go back to that original assumption. If people lie to your face, you could have... They could be the nicest person in the world and be lying to you about everything. Because their motivation is to get the apartment um, or the room. So they're going to tell you what you want to hear. But you don't want to hear that. You want to know the truth. And this... By doing these steps, you'll get to the truth and get a better picture of if this person um, fulfills the requirements to be the tenant you accept in the end. So yeah, three times rent to income. And this is another one that I know Joe knows all about, job verification. How, uh, how often do you guys call now for confirming if they're still employed? Um, so we call you know, during the initial application, and then we call the day before closing. Um, to make sure that they are still working there, that nothing's changed. Yeah, and I actually suggest this is a very important step because, yeah, how are they going to pay if they if they have zero income? How are they going to pay three times the rent? Um, again, goes back to they'll tell you what you want to hear, and you can't trust that. You you have to call or email the HR or whoever is responsible for payroll at their company, 
and not just do that step because again they could hire you know have their friend answer the phone or give you you know someone that's not really um, legit. So you want to get a pay stub or two as well. Um, and then I would even take a step further. What Joe just talked about is probably before you accept them as a tenant, maybe call or verify one more time or get another pay stub just to verify they're still employed because things, and especially right now, what we're dealing with is, you know, very fast moving times where people get unemployed or furloughed within a week, you know, they have no idea uh, or laid off. You want to make sure this person still is the right fit for your property or room. And the next step is prior landlords. This is another very, I would say this might be the most important step. And I got uh, a very important, this is easily uh, definitely the most important step because the prior, the landlords, you, you don't, you're not going to really know, you know, their habits. So that, like, again, it goes back to, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to seem really nice. They're going to be dressed well. You know what? Yeah, you know, appear appearances are very deceiving. They 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 could put on a good smile and seem like the coolest person, and like this is yeah, this looks this seems like a great person to rent to. Um, but prior landlords, they're gonna give you more insight than what your initial impressions will give. Sometimes they give more information than others, but basically, you want to really confirm. Have you know? Have they paid rent consistently? Have they been late? If they've been late, what was the reason why? Um, have they had any complaints from this tenant? Uh, you know, they partying at three o'clock in the morning. You're, you're trying to dig like some. Think of it as you're like an investigation, you know, investigating journalist, and you're trying to find out everything you can about this person. And depends on the landlord. A lot of landlords uh, are very. They'll, they'll give you a lot more things. And insights than probably you want to hear. Sometimes I actually have a funny story. My one of my first tenants was I was renting the whole unit out, and I called the prior landlord. Did exactly that, and she, the tenant was or the the property manager said, "Oh yeah, she's a good tenant. She pays all the time." So they answered all the they pay they, they checked all the boxes off. Like they they pay on time. They weren't late. Um, they didn't destroy, you know, they'll get the full security deposit back, everything checked out. And then she mentioned, oh, yeah, she also recently broke up with her boyfriend. Um, and I, you know, talk about weird. And this is like a 30 unit apartment complex too, or 40 unit. So it wasn't like some mom and pop shop. So like how at the time I didn't like really think about that one. And then she moves in, you know, she pays. She's a good tenant at first, only to find out she's having multiple people over all the time and breaking the noise violations of my lease pretty much every single day, during the day, in the evenings, on weekends. So bad it got that my tenants, and this is a was a bottom unit and a multifamily property, so you know, shared walls. It got so bad that the Tenants and the other property thought something like I was, um, you know, yelling or screaming or something, and they're all con- really confused. I was like, or like I was hurting someone. That's how weird it sounded. And they, the 
the adults and uh, the kid. So the kids were all freaked down the other unit, and the adults had to take the kids to the park because the noise was so loud, and all because of that one comment that property manager said. I could have spotted that a lot sooner, and wow. or or qual that so something that small. If you're not paying attention, like I didn't even ask that too. I, was, I just asked like, oh, is um, tell me about you know are they they. They are they good respective tenants? You know they damage things, you know, whatnot, what and they, and then they threw out that comment. I was like, okay, if I would have listened to that property manager, I could have avoided that. Um, and then we'll get into different strategies too of if that happens to you or if it's not the right fit, which does happen. How to minimize that risk as well? And it's all about minimizing risk. It, it, this doesn't guarantee you'll find the best, like perfect tenants. If anything, this will just help you find the best tenants that you can get from the applicant pool that you have available. That's really the goal. So that's uh, an example of, you know, ask questions. And there's also another question you should ask at the end saying, is there anything else you could tell me about this tenant that you haven't told me during this conversation? And some like, that that probably could have if I would have asked that question, they would have probably gave me more detail. Like, oh, she makes a lot of noise when she has boyfriends over and stuff like that, and it distracts the other <laughs> other uh, tenants. Um, I would have got that information. <laughs> so, I am learning so much tonight. I had no idea this was going to be on the on the agenda. This is great. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So. <laughs> the so you don't want to stop at one landlord. This is where it separates the beginner landlords from or property managers from the real advanced and successful ones. You call the previous one, but you also call the the one right before that, and then maybe even take it to a third one. You want to do at least two landlords or three landlords, at least two. The reason why is that. Second, the second two previous ones, they have no motivation to lie to you as much as the previous one does. Why is that? Because that tenant's already moved out. They don't care anymore about that tenant. They moved on. They'll probably give you all the information you want to know that versus the previous ones. That's why you need to call at least two. Previous one, that tenant might be the worst tenant in the world and be destructive and they'll tell you again it goes back to you they'll tell you kind of like tenants they'll tell you those property manager or property managers or landlords will tell you exactly what want to hear oh yeah they're great they're great they pay on time they um you know they're quiet they don't make a mess their dogs really well behaved they'll tell you that that's why you don't call you don't listen to what they say as much as uh when it comes to those generic uh questions and answers you want to listen to the prior prior landlord property manager because they'll probably give you a lot more insight of what they're really like. And I, that's where that first example I gave you, the screamer, she, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she, um, I only stopped. I only called up to the prior landlord. I didn't go back one more, and I stopped. I didn't listen to. I didn't really take that comment seriously. I thought like, oh, is this the generic thing? She's what I didn't even listen to that comment. That was the worst part. I was I was only listening to what I wanted to hear, and that was does she pay on time? Does she 
uh, has she been missed a payment or been late? Um, will she get this full security deposit back? Stuff like that, which those are good questions, but you want to dig a little deeper because you're going to either, if you're renting a room, you're living with this person and they're, you know, stranger, you don't know this person or, you know, you're, or you're renting a unit, same thing. You don't know this person. You want to make sure they're the right fit for your property or your, or the room in your property. And on top of that, you also want to verify kind of like, uh, what is it called, Chris? A stopple where you confirm the rents for a property you're buying. Is that what it is? For uh, buying a property with a has tenants in there and you want to verify they pay a certain amount of rents. I forgot the name of that term. Yeah, that's it. You got it right. Yep. A stopple. Okay. Yeah, same thing. Uh, but I don't think it's, you could just, just verify in writing or by email or however you want to do it. That they're paying and they're not behind, and even act, even ask for like a, a st- uh, show, ask them to show you proof that they're paying. If you don't, you know, if, if the property manager is hard to reach or they're requiring, sometimes they require more documentation too. They need like a signature of the that that tenant to get permission to give the rent amount. So sometimes you need that, but usually, yeah, you, you get that and you can verify that they're paying it, and that's also very key. Again, the, these extra steps is what separates what really makes a difference in finding the best tenant for your property or room. And then you do all this, you verify that they still have a job. <laughs> Maybe the day before you decide you're going to um, potentially... So you go through all this and hopefully you have more than one person because you don't want just rely... Because what happens is you get emotionally involved. If you just have one person that gave the application, you're going to find every reason to accept them. That's a ter- then that's the worst thing to do. You don't want to just it's like fi- you know finding love, you know. You don't want just to marry the first person that looks at you. You you got to you know date around and find out what you like and don't like. But this is a little different context. You want you know five applications, 10 applications, and then you go through all these steps and yeah, it's time consuming, but this is what really helps you make the most logical decision to put in the best tenants for the long-term success of your property and minimum minimal risk. Of course, there's no guarantees with this. You might, you know, the, the landlords and property managers still might lie to you or the tenant might have a mental breakdown and, you know, still do damage to the property. You can't predict the future, but this will help minimize your risk. And that's really the key thing is with this. If you want to achieve the maximum returns for your properties, you have to first minimize the risk before they get in the door. So you go through all that. You find... um, You go through all the screening, background checks, credit checks. And now you're down to you know, a couple of them and you want to give acceptance to one and decline another one. You just have to make sure you have to do it in writing. You can't just say it to their face. You have to tell them. Usually, email, and this is where talk to attorney. I don't believe texting counts as in writing, it has to be by email. And is that true, I Chris? Correct. I know from um, real. I mean, it's just uh, oddly enough, I was taking a uh, continuing education class recently. And this is one of the topics they 
talked about, and I believe they mentioned because they talk about some property management stuff, is that you know, <clears throat> email is accepted unless the tenant asks for it in writing. Mm-hmm. Is what I recall from what they're talking about. Um, so I definitely will not text. I definitely will not do it over the phone. Um, but from what I remember, it sounded like email, and then if they request a written statement, then you have to print it, write it, and mail it out. But of course, you gotcha. know, check with uh, check with a professional on that one. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, definitely if you have more questions, talk with the attorney. So yeah, you you come down to it. They meet your income requirements. They have you know not too much debt. That's another big thing too. You see a lot with room rentals is people have student loans that are hundreds of thousands of dollars, and sometimes they only have to make like fifty bucks a month payment. What I've noticed too is a lot of young people, unfortunately, have not just student loans. They have a forty thousand dollars car, they have ten thousand dollars credit card uh, debt as well. So with all the debt, they even if they're making three times the amount of rent to income, they can't afford your place. Even if it's a room, sometimes I've seen that. So that's an easy disqualifier. You want to really set rules of like, okay. They have to meet these expectations of three times rent to income. And then if they have debt, put that in to take, you know, the income to debt, make sure they're kind of like with Joe, the debt to income ratio. Um, think about that. Of course, again, with rooms, they're usually priced in a way it won't make a huge difference that. If they have a lot of debt, because usually people are going to pay their rent or mortgage first before they stop paying other bills. Usually, <laughs> that's where again there's the screening process of making sure they haven't been evicted or haven't had any judgments on their credit report or background check pull up. So, go ahead. Hey, I was going to say we got a question here, Jeff. If you have a couple applying. Do they each fill out an application or can you have multiple applicants on one application? Yeah, they would be on the cozy.co website. You would make them, uh, it'd just be a joint application if they, um, if they apply, if they're applying together for the whole unit or if you, if you want to do rent the room to them, that would be, uh, there's a joint application part of that. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all these things. So income, I would say they have to have a job that they pay the rent and you definitely want to verify as soon as possible after they fill out the application. And then whether, again, it might take you calling the HR payroll department might take you getting, um, a signature (laughs) of, uh, the prospective tenant to get permission to get, you know, that they actually have a job there. And then along those lines, you want to get pay stubs to confirm that they actually get paid what they say they pay are paid. And then the landlords, you confirm at least two or more prior landlords. And then going through all that, if this is a room rental, you want to make sure it fits since you can choose you could and you have like two, the final two that's where it's a little tough and they both seem really qualified i actually liked to keep them what happens is people sometimes say okay sorry you're declined 
and then you don't ever talk to the person. I like to stay on positive terms. So I give them a soft, like, sorry, uh, someone else was accepted and to leave the door open again in the future because they got that far. You already know what they're like, you know, that they already kind of went through the whole screen process and met the criteria. But at the end, one other person was just a better fit if you're renting a room. If you're not renting a room, then what I usually do is do the whole process. And then it was the order that it, um, whoever I finished up first gets accepted. What does your property manager do, Chris or Joe, on that? Or you don't know? <laughs> I am a terrible resource for this question. I have no idea. <laughs> Sometimes I, I, actually, I've you know gotten, what? I think it's first come, first serve. Yeah, that's the, that's the policy I do too. So when it yeah. comes to uh, the whole unit or if it's an investment property or... Um, yeah, anytime it's a separate unit or you're moved out of your house hack and you're still renting the rooms, that's basically the same thing as a separate unit. Then you have fair, house, fair housing laws that, that apply. Um, that's where you just do first come, first serve. So any questions on that, Chris or Joe? No, that's great. Um, the one comment I have on here, because this is something I just, you know, I, you know, we always get constantly bombarded with this as agents. And I also hear this from property managers is make sure you have everything in writing. Um, that way you have your underwriting requirements in writing. That way, whether you accept, so- accept someone or deny someone, it's in writing and it's always done to your standards. It's saying, hey, the reason I deny this person is because their income to debt ratio was, you know, 2.1. And that's required three, you know, three X I'm requiring. And right. Alice just protects, helps protect uh, the landlord, actually you know, protects anyone against just, you know, um, any complaints or, uh, you know, indiscriminately, incidentally discriminating against someone. Yeah. And that's where you even put that. Uh, I do application standards, little section on the ad as well. I say, okay, three times rent to income. No felonies, evictions, tax liens, judgments, bankruptcies, all those things. Um, no um, sexual predators. I don't know what I say exactly. I don't think I call it that. <laughs> but basically, yeah, you want to set, like Chris said, put it in writing, put it in the ad. Um, on Cozy, the website, they you can even put it on there too when they go through the application. They could see kind of re rehash those standards again so they're not surprised if they don't get accepted. Um, usually what I found too when people don't get accepted, they're you know, they're, as long as you frame it like, oh yeah, first come, first serve, someone just beat you to it. They met, you know, you met all the qualifications too. They just submit the application first, you know, their understanding. And then if you leave the door open again, I've had people apply to my other future properties or even reapply. In the future, if it you know if they are still you know looking again, so it's always good to leave the door open again for the ones you decline if you felt they were a good fit. But you only you only rent in one one room and it's two people and you accept the other person. So that's uh, I think really important. Then you accepted the person. Now, I guess following Joe's lead, be a lender and call. Probably the day of when you're doing the lease signing <laughs> to make sure they still have a job. And I think that would be that, that they still have their job and all that. And so the lease signing, 
this is we could probably do a whole webinar on this too um because it's you could have i think the overall message i want to put across with leases is it's always good to have more than less on your lease you want to try think of it like a legal doc like when you read legal documents um do they try to condense them and put it down to one page to make it really easy for people yeah, no. not any lawyer I've ever read. <laughs> they put it's like as long as know. possible. I mean, they. I mean, you know, oftentimes their pages is just like one incomplete sentence for the entire page. That's how much they put in there. Yeah, and then <laughs> apply that. Like the reason lawyers do that is they know ninety nine percent of people aren't like. I guess Joe, you can answer this. How many people have read all the loan documents at a closing since oh. uh, you started? Like every single page. Maybe one out of a hundred. Yeah. And uh yeah, I mean, I know for Joe's end that with loans you you know they have to cover everything and be very specific but apply that same concept to leases, you know, things you got to assume if things this is more protection for the landlord property manager, if things go sideways this is what is your position, if thing like if you had to go through an eviction, this is where you can refer back to. Or if they're breaking something on the lease, this is where you go back to. And it's always good to have more things and cover a little bit of everything because if you don't, and like let's say you don't have smoking marijuana on your property in your lease or an addendum, you and then they start smoking marijuana or they doing uh, other things, and it's not in there, they can technically are not in violation of their lease and there's really nothing you can do until they move out and or unless they get them assigned a new lease with that that's a great point so that's where always yeah i think this is definitely an always statement always have more than less on the lease so if it's 20 pages and you know you think that's long it probably is long but it would protect in the end if something goes sideways it's better to be protected and feel secure that you know you had it in your lease than if you did not so restructure if you're renting the rooms versus a whole unit i usually keep it pretty much the it's the same lease i just specify rooms by like okay this is room a b c d and then i specify that and i talk about the common areas um versus uh and i don't change i don't say okay i'm gonna make this lease really short because it's just a room like it's the same exact lease as a normal uh unit or space but the only difference is i specify uh tom jones is renting room a and the common areas are this and that so that's pretty much the only difference between the two it's a basic, you know, lease length, the um, the rights and responsibilities of the landlord and tenant, the what cons- constitutes breaking the lease. So all the other stuff that you see in a normal lease, it's all in there, but it's just applied to a room. That's really the only difference I do. Then I also do this uh, because I know most people don't read the lease. Um, or if they do read the lease, they don't really understand it because it's written by a lawyer. <laughs> and True. I have a three-page rules and regulations. And this is kind of like, think of it as 
just house rules or um, the unit rules. So it specifies exactly like what quiet hours, like things that you might not realize, but when you're living there, like, oh, I should have put the quiet hours in there because they like playing music at one o'clock. They like listen to their favorite band and they're like practicing uh, in their band at one o'clock in the morning in the garage, but everyone could hear it. But with the quiet hours in there, you'll know, okay, from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. every single day, that is the quiet hours. So you establish that precedent. And again, this, this all goes back to you want to set the expectations up front so you don't get burned later. So if you walk them through this rule, this is probably more important, probably just as important as the least, is you talk about quiet hours. You talk about what's violations. What does that mean? Like, what is quiet? People don't have different definitions of noise. Um, lawn care, snow removal, things like that. Do you want to have the tenant be responsible? Do you want to hire someone else to be responsible? I could tell you in my experience, tenants don't care. They don't... <laughs> I, I've only found one of my tenants actually mow the lawn at all my properties. Shovel... Um, most of them could do that, but like pulling weeds and stuff like that, they're not going to like, if you want a weedless property or a property that looks really nice from a landscaping point of view, don't put that in. I, I wouldn't recommend put that in there. I would hire that out because I don't know about you guys, but I don't personally like pulling weeds and I no. don't know why a tenant would do that just for fun unless they really enjoy yard work. <laughs> but I've only met maybe one at all my tenants that actually enjoyed going outside and mowing lawn or cutting like the rose bush and stuff like that. That was one exception. So I would say, put, again, put that in your lease. But that's stuff when you get doing work outside the house or even, even maintaining a clean environment. Again, you want to put that in there. But realistically, tenants aren't going to care for the property. This is probably the most important one. Tenants just by nature, aren't going to care for the property as much as you because they're not the owner. And think of anything you've ever rented before, renting a car, do you treat that... Do you, like Joe, when you rent a car when you're on a trip, do you treat it with the same respect as your current car? I can assure you, I go out of my way to abuse <laughs> rental cars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so make the same assumption with uh, when you rent to tenants, like they're going to not necessarily care about that you know, I broke the faucet. Um, I made a hole in the wall. They might not even tell you. That's that's where you want to really rehash this rules and regulations and say, okay, this you know you can't do damage to the property. You can't put up uh, curtains as hangers or curtains as uh, oh sorry tapestries as curtains. You can't you know do put uh, you know different. Pretty much, you're trying to get to the place where you establish all these things. Smoking, I think that's a huge one. Because again, Colorado is a very friendly state when it comes to smoking. And there's a lot of ways to uh, accomplish that goal. You, they have edibles now. They have uh, You could vape now. You could still smoke. They have... And everything in between. But so have, Jeff, would yeah. you allow someone to... Do you allow vaping in your units? No. Yeah. No, I do not. I have a. Not only do I have smoking talk, I mentioned that in the rules and regulations, 
But I also have a, another smoke, a smoking addendum that talks directly about there's this no smoking of any kind on the property or within 50 feet of the property. Maybe it's 100 feet. Um, oh, wow. So wow. just because I just know I've dealt with this at uh, my, pro, my, I have a, my house in North Glen. The tenants there are very, they have kids and they're very sensitive to the smoke smell. So I had to deal with some of the tenants there. Um, you know, going back and instead of me trying to be the bad guy, like this is what's great about when you have a strong lease. You could say, Oh, I'm not being the bad guy. I'm not the one complaining. Forget about the tenants, the other tenants complaining. Just look at the lease. You sign this thing, just rehash. Okay. You know, you put again, put in writing. You know, you're in violation of section 3.4 of the lease, you know, the no smoking within 50 feet of the property. This is your first violation. And then take it from there. Usually people get the picture from that. And that's actually yep. helped that, that made them stop right there. Once you show them that you're serious um, and don't try to, this is where people put on your property management landlord hat and don't try, this is where you don't want to be friends. Yeah, you're not their buddy at this point. You want to maintain social distancing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Emotional distancing in this case. Emotional distancing from uh, the tenants because even if you're living, even if they're roommates, because what happens is who's, what's the first thing they're going to, Joe, if like if I was living in one of your rooms at your property and I was, you know, really good friends with you and I lost my job. What do you think I'm going to try to say to you um, if I can't pay my rent for the month? Uh, oh, yeah. Hey, man, you know what? I love hanging out with you. I love our buddies. Um, I can't pay this month, but you're, you're totally cool because we're friends, right? You know, yep. you want, they're going to try and, and work on that emotional connection. You know how, many, how much money I loaned in college to my air quote friends like that? I did yep. that like three times and I learned, okay, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> well, yep, I think... I want to touch on one thing you said, Jeff, that I think is really good. When you have a dispute, right? You go back to the lease and the rules and regulations, and whether that's a dispute over rent or where you can smoke or whatever, um, if it's already written down, you've got a good lease, you've got good rules and regs, you're not having to make this up on the fly. You're going back and looking and say, hey, it already says right here. And, And I say this a lot about real estate contracts. A contract, that is simply the rules that we all agreed to when we were all happy. And now that somebody's unhappy, let's go back and look at the rule book and it's going to tell us what to do. You know, so I think it's so smart to have that, the house rule that I've never heard of that. And I think that is genius for when you're going to have room by room rentals. Yeah, exactly. Cause, and also in this rules too, when you apply it to roommate situations, you want to cover more the common areas again. So in roommate situations, you want to cover, okay, the fridge space, like kind of talk about, okay, you have this much. I usually label things too. So when it comes to different um, room, a, like the example I gave room ABC, I would give different drawers for in the bathroom and also in the kitchen and the fridge. So they know exactly where to keep their stuff or food. They don't get mixed up. And every, and really, it's worked out very well. No one's I've had I've had any issues where someone ate someone else's cake or something like that because they thought it was their own or <laughs> whatever 
whatever happened in college where people eat their own, each other's foods and blame it on the other person that hasn't happened yet <laughs> based on doing simple things like like again setting the precedent up front that okay this is these four cabinets here are for you those four cabinets are for room b those four cabinets are for room c the four cabinets are for us and that's it and same thing in the bathroom so they, you know, where they, they know exactly where all their stuff is, and you have like a little sense of security too. Like, okay, this is mine. I don't have to worry about anyone going in there. Um, lease length. So, when I deal with roommates, I actually like doing shorter leases. And the main reason why is most roommate tenants or roommates, they're usually a younger demographic between 25 to 35. And there's more transitory anyways. They move around a lot. They're kind of like, uh, I guess, renter nomads. <laughs> and they uh, yeah. go from place to place. So most of them really don't like one year or more leases. Uh, and a nice thing too about a short-term lease is if you're doing a six-month lease, like a good testing ground too like if things if they're like really loud or you know they're just don't mesh with the other roommates or other tenants or they have an annoying dog that barks and keeps everyone up at night um then you could get out of it and then get out of it in six months or five months or whatever seven months a short-term lease under one year so it gives you that nice flexibility. And then if they're a really good fit, then you can say, okay, let's do another six months or do one year from there. Because you found out, okay, they're really meshed well with the other roommates. Uh, let's give them one year. So it's like a good tester lease. Very smart. Yeah. And then seasonality, this is another thing too. This is another benefit of the short-term leases. So you know, right now it's almost May 1st here. So it's a great time to find renters. So ideally, you want your leases to end. If you're doing roommate-type um, leases, you want it to end usually in between April to September because that's the prime time for people to move. And so knowing that, you want to make sure your lease lengths kind of cover that. So if you have someone move in the middle of August, you don't want to make that a six-month lease and then you know ends in February when it's really cold out. So something to think about. I know some people, you know, don't really they they don't care if they have to do showings in the middle of January. I don't personally like that. So I always have all my leases, I structure all of them to depend on what time of year it is to end in that April to September first time, April one to September first time frame. So I get the most amount of uh, prospective applicants to find the best tenants and kind of always shuffle around there. So if I have, let's say, for example, um, someone wants to move out September 1st, then I would do a nice seven-month lease from September 1st to April 1st, just like that. So Smart. And they move if they do decide to move out, it's not a fit. It's April first, so I'll have way more interest and find again a, a great set of applicants, and then whittle down to the best one because the more is always better than less, and that's where 
Um, again, also it applies to normal renting units as well. You don't want leases to end in the middle of winter, especially in Colorado. I, I know I've done I've done showings in middle of February and and November, and you could do it. You just again, it goes back to we rather have showings when you have twenty people, uh, ten people show up, or three. Which one do you think you'll find a good, stable, long term tenant? You might get lucky and find one in the middle of February. But I'd rather have choose from ten of them than uh, three. Yeah, I'd prefer the ten. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, you stack the odds in your favor. It's law of averages. The more people you have there, the more yeah. likely you are to find a better one. Yeah, and then uh, lease signing. Uh, so addendums. So I also do different addendums, basically dealing with. Um, I have like a, I think I have like a lead based paint one, and also a because most of my properties are built before 1979. And I also have that smoking, the non, the smoking one that talks again. You can see I mentioned it in the lease, it's in the lease, it's in the rules and regulations, and in a separate addendum because it's that important to me because I really want to respect the other tenants because it's not really about what I like or dislike, it's what other people complain about. And I can tell you when you're renting other spaces, people have different levels of tolerances to noise, to smoke, to light, to everything in between. So you, you really want to just provide a safe, quiet, uh, quiet yet enjoyable place to live for all parties, whether it's r- renting rooms or the whole unit or separate units. And then, uh, oh, friends, this is another thing I've dealt with. When you're renting rooms, sometimes you know, the younger people, they get a boyfriend or girlfriend or both. <laughs> and... Uh, they want the uh, you know they the person stays over a few nights a week, a few more nights a week. They're there, you know, a week here, a week there, and eventually, like, their car's still there, and they haven't left. So you're kind of wondering, okay, I'm renting to just one person, not the boyfriend or the girlfriend. Uh, and again, this is where having a strong lease, where you talk about. Uh, the room is meant for one party that's signing this lease. And if anyone stays, I, my lease basically states if anyone stays over 14 days, they have to be added to the lease. Problem with that is in Colorado with occupancy limits, you really don't want two people per room. That's just getting a little crowded, especially if you're renting rooms already and all those cars. And then you're adding another person. So it's just making it worse. So really go back to your lease. Making sure that person, you know, if they have them stay longer, either, you know, they're they're in violation of lease, they're going to have to do something about it. You know, maybe even break the lease early. You know, if they want to, you know, go live with that person. Because again, it's not about what you like or dislike. It's what about the whole your other roommates and other tenants. And this person, you have no idea what they're like. They could be. You know, serial killer for all you know, you have no idea. So, right, because you're going to get a background to, check on them, right? Yeah. And actually, I suggest doing a, have them do a full background credit application as well, just to make sure. Cause, like, what, what if, Chris, uh, what if one of your properties, someone, let's say you were the prop manager and one of them, and you're living there and you're renting rooms and then someone moves in and that person was a serial, like, uh, was like a, some type of, creepy person and scared the other tenants. How would you feel? And you did nothing about it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's not, not an ideal setup. You want your tenants to be, you know, to feel safe and comfortable. Right. And that's where, again, go, going all the way back to you want to promote the quiet, safe, enjoyable environment for all parties, whether the roommates or other, other units entirely. So uh, the friends coming over, just got to watch out for that. And just going back, that's another thing I emphasize in the rules and regulations. I say, okay, if anyone stays over... 14 days or more consecutively, then they have to be added to the lease or that's a violation of the lease. So they know up front. So usually it hasn't happened as much recently, but it does happen sometimes. So just to be aware. And then, yeah, overall message from all this, again, leases with more information are always better than lease, the three-page leases that you find online for free. So... Get a hired professional if you don't have a lease. Um, find a local attorney or hired professional to make you a lease because this is what, if things again go sideways, this is what is your protection for that. Utilities. This uh, initially I used to bill back. I used to get the bill for water, electric, internet, and say, okay, it was $300 for all these things. So divide that by five rooms, 60 bucks a person. The problem with that is people started complaining, saying, oh, well, he did. Uh, I, I wasn't here half the month. I was at my uh, friend's place. Uh, so why should I pay that much of the utilities or the water bill? Um, I know the other roommate uses internet. all. He's streaming all the time in his garage room. I don't know what he's doing in there. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it's what I've learned is for a roommate situation, you want to basically just take an average of all the utilities and try to get the historical data and then just add it to their base rent saying, so their base rent is $700. And then, you know, on average, it's, you know, 300 bucks for utilities, divide that by five rooms. So 60 bucks a person every month. So they know the fix. So some months you're doing well, some months you're like breaking even, some months you're losing money, some months you're so basically in the end you're just like breaking even. It's not a big deal. Really simple, and you don't have to confuse people or break out bills and you know ask for 20, 50 bucks, sixty bucks, and that's just a mess. And then for renting normal units, either if it's a shared utility, then usually I just same thing. You split it out by usually I use square footage. And then that's worked effectively for me. And furnishing your property. So this is more for the roommates. When you're renting by room situation, you want to provide everything except what's in their room and bathroom, basically. So think of the, a kitchen. Um, people need pots and pans and silverware and glasses and mugs, uh, toasters and salt and pepper shakers and stuff like that. And what the goal is when you're doing a roommate situation is you don't want them to bring in their own, like their, like what happens is, okay, you're renting five bed, four bedrooms. Every person has their own plates and silverware. Now the place just looks crazy with uh, glass, like five different styles of glasses, six different plates. It's really looking like a funky place. So to help minimize that, you go, you go buy all that stuff, provide it all. So all they, their possessions are in their room. And that really comes in handy 
again, going back to worst case scenario, if you have to go eviction, you say, okay, that room A, um, that's all their property. They don't have anything in the common areas. So along those lines, not only do you want to furnish the kitchen, also put a dining room table up, a, you also want to furnish, furnish the living room. And actually, this is something I do a little differently. I do a thing to make it comfortable, but not too comfortable. I don't put a big screen TV out there with you know, my Xbox 360 and PS4 and all that. Because uh, I don't know if you guys are gamers, but what do you think happens if, uh, if I have a sweet setup with like stereo and surround sound? If I had all that out there, what do you think some a tenant would do if they love playing games and I have all that right there for them? You got to party there all, all day and all night. <laughs> so yeah, I don't do that. We uh, in the current place I'm living at now, we have the most uncomfortable looking couch to sit on for more than two minutes. We got a little, you know, rug. It's like very, like nice looking. It looks great in pictures but not a place you want to just congregate and just lounge and chill. So we make it comfortable, but not too comfortable where people um, will take over a space. So that, again, keeps the roommate tenants to their rooms majority of the time, except, you know, they go to, they, you know, use a kitchen to cook and make breakfast, stuff like that. They, so it minimizes the amount of time that they could spend annoying the other tenants, because this is, again, goes back to, <laughs> you don't know these people. Everyone has different levels of tolerance. You want to maintain a nice, good environment where everyone's happy. And I think that's best when everyone's in their rooms um, most of the time. Sometimes, you know, they, they have little get-togethers and stuff like that. But you set the precedent up front where everything's provided for them. All they have to bring is their own furniture for their, you know, their own bed, their own dresser, their clothes, their you know, own possessions in their room. And then everything else is provided. Then it really keeps them mostly in their room. Moving in and property management. So definitely use what I use is all these automated products of um I don't ever take if someone Chris, if you were the uh property manager and someone wanted to pay you in cash, what would you tell them? Say that question again. Oh, I think like this is property, a trick question. <laughs> if you were the <laughs> if you were the property manager and one of your tenants wanted to pay you in cash, what would you say? I mean I don't have a problem. I would just give them a receipt and document it. And Joe, what would you say to that if I was trying to prove that I, all my tenant was paying me in cash? I would say that's going to be tough for us to uh, verify that tenant in room A has been paying you. Um, so if I'm Chris, the landlord, I would say, you know what, temp- Mr. Tenant, I really appreciate you bringing your $700 today, but I'm going to need you to go down to the post office or the 7-Eleven, get this converted to a money order um, and bring it back. Or send me, like you have on the screen, Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, uh, cash is fantastic. It is legal tender, but it makes it difficult when it's time to take out your next loan. And that's really the most important thing in all this is what the lender really recognizes. So if you plan on just living in this property forever, then yeah, then, and you don't want to pay taxes, then okay, that's up to your decision. But I don't, I'm not an attorney or accountant, but I don't recommend that. <laughs> but so use what I do is use all the and there's so many apps out there. You have what does Joe Venmo's PayPal Zelle even Cozy.co. They all provide services where they could go online and pay you without and you have documentation. 
without you having to chase them after any, like chase after it or try to prove that you know you could take cash or whatnot. Even some of my tenants, I actually have them go to my bank and direct deposit my account because they don't have Venmo, Zelle, or PayPal. So and I, I want to just add one comment here real quick. From a yeah. lending side, I have received from, from landlords like yourself, hey, here's my rent printout for the past year. Um, and you can print it out on Venmo and on Zelle, and it's super easy. And it says, hey, Mr. Smith paid the rent, paid the rent, paid the rent. And it links right there. That works perfectly for verification for what we need on the lending side. Nice. Yeah. And then again, it goes back to convenience, saving you time. Because if you're having five roommate tenants, um, each property you get adds up to a lot of payments. And whatever you can do to make it as easy as possible on yourself and your tenants, that's... And all these great resources we have now, you don't have to worry about, okay, did so-and-so pay? Uh, Is this check going to cash? Um, do I have to go to the property and pick up a check? All of that's eliminated. And again, set that expectation up front, you know, saying, I only take payments through one of these apps. And if they don't have it, they could download it and get it um, to make it really easy. Oh, it's true. And you then, can put that right in your lease, huh? I didn't even yeah. think about that. That's yeah. good. That's smart. And then automation. Uh, Cozy is another great. So Cozy, not only could you do background checks, credit checks, you could do... Um, Accept rent payments, and not only that, you could also uh, put ma- the tenants could put maintenance requests in too. So it's all documented again, and you don't have to worry about oh, did I did my did I respond back to that text message or phone call? It's all there, and you get an email. Um, and you know that's again, Cozy is like all encompassing, all in one, and it's all free. And I, you know, I'm not being paid by Cozy to promote their product, but it's just a very user friendly and tenant friendly. Um, website. And oh yeah, another nice thing I do is instead of saying, oh yeah, like this goes back to the rules and regulations, instead of I call it like I call it office hours, kind of like with like professors in college. So instead of saying, oh yeah, you're I'm available 24/7 for any maintenance requests or the little example people I say you get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning that your toilet is backing up or something. Uh, haven't got any of that. And again, it goes back to setting a thing I call office hours where it's saying, okay, I'm, I'm available from this time to this time. But unless it's... And only if it's emergency, can you contact me after those hours or before those hours? And that's really done a good job of maintaining you know, people calling me at 11 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that, unless it's like a true emergency, like something like a plumbing electrical issue. Um, so that's done, that's gone very well with that. And then living the tenants, we kind of hashed on this, uh, definitely tell them. I like being straightforward people. I tell them I'm the owner, um, versus kind of lie and say, Oh, I'm just a guy living here or the property manager when you're dealing with roommate tenants or just normal. If you're living in a duplex or something, I do like being upfront saying I am the owner because the reality is they could go online and find out. It's all public information if you're the owner. And that looked kind of weird. What do you think of someone, Chris, if someone said... Um, if they lied to you and say, Oh, yeah, I'm just a property manager. And then you find out they're the owner the whole time. Would that make you feel differently about that person? Yeah, it would. And I know a lot of people talk about, you know, uh, don't tell me to do it. But I, I like your philosophy of just being frank and honest. Because as you said, it's not that hard to find out. And I think it just sets the relationship up to a better standard. And I think a lot of times if people say, you know, 
they're not willing to say, hey, I'm not the owner. It's because they don't, you know, they that means that they are not good at handling issues. And that's a different problem right there. So pretending not to be owner is not going to magically solve issues that come up. Right. Uh, and then these two, a couple of these points here, behavioral issues and disputes and uncontrollable issues. This is where that short-term lease really comes in handy because most people are going to, you know, maybe they'll be on their best behavior. It's kind of like when people are first dating, they'll be, you know, act, you know, do everything they can to impress the other person for the first few months. And then eventually they'll revert back to what they're really like. <laughs> Same thing with tenants. They'll start off really well, be nice, be respectful for a few months, and then they'll revert back to their true nature. So <laughs> six months, those five to six month leases are nice in that sense, especially with roommate tenants, because you don't, they're strangers, right? You don't know them. They don't know you. You don't know, again, the thresholds of noise, the thresholds of cleanliness, <laughs> the, th- the thresholds of um, picking up after themselves. Everyone's different. And some people, what one person says is, oh, yeah, that, that, uh, that room is perfectly clean. Other person say, that's disgusting. How does that person live uh, in that garage room? So <laughs> they, uh, that's where you, the short-term lease has a great benefit. And also, when you're dealing with issues, you really try to take yourself out and wear that landlord property management hat and refer back to lease. Don't try to get emotionally involved. Just keep it to the lease or the rules and regulations. That's what you went over in the front end. That's what they agreed to. And then if it, you know, they saying, okay, I don't want to live here anymore. You know, maybe let them, if it's really bad situation or they need to get out, uh, maybe let them break the lease early, but they're still responsible for that extra month. So that's where you can make an exception. But it's your your judgment call in the end, and that's uh, it's a tricky thing. You, like you, you definitely sometimes develop. You know, you're friendly to them. You might be nice to them, and they say, "Oh, I need to move back home with my mom and stuff like that." And what are you going to tell them? Oh, your, your lease is you have three months, four months left on your lease. You gotta, you know, um, pay the difference there. I usually you, you you're still the human aspect, and you want to work with them and say, okay, well that's fine. We could break. You could move out early. Just you know, let me show your property so I could find someone there to replace you as soon as possible. And usually that's worked out well for me versus trying to be cold and saying, okay, fine, that's great. Uh, see you. Best luck and let's break no. it today. Stuff like that. <laughs> and, and, and that's a smart thing, especially since we're in very, very low vacancy right now in Denver. Great. Someone breaks the lease and moves out. It's not that hard to get another tenant in there. Um, yeah, now, depending on time of year, it might take a week or two longer, but in the grand scheme, it's not a huge deal. And you know, if someone doesn't want to be in your asset, great. You don't want them in there either because they don't want to be in there. Cool. Get them, help them move on and find someone wants to be in there. Yeah, yeah, I think karma goes a long ways in those situations. I don't think there's anything wrong. Like you said, just be a kind human being. You know what? You have a you have an issue. You want to leave? No problem. Let's help each other figure out a way out of this. I need to show this property. I need you to keep it clean, you know, and we're going to let you get out of here and get your security deposit back. You know, I think you just talk to them about doing the right thing and you do the right thing and everybody wins. Yeah. And then that's the nice thing too, is it pays dividends, you know, good, good deeds like that pay dividends in the future because you establish, you know, if you have a bad reputation, people eventually will start talking and, you know, you might get, 
then you might getting back, you know, getting back some bad karma for being rude to tenants or other roommates. Right. Uh, so it's always good to be professional and act in the best practices. So, and then dealing with, you know, certain issues of people breaking the lease again and again. Yeah. That's where goes back to, and that's what I've encountered. It's usually been the roommate tenants that break the lease more than once or breaks a, a section lease, like usually noise or smoking. So usually then you just, you know, you'd be respectful and that's where the short-term leases are great because you find out that, you know, they can't help smoking pot every single night. <laughs> so they, you know, whatever, six months goes by like that. So they, you say, thanks, you know, you've been a good tenant and I think it's best fit for, you know, if you want a place where you can smoke all you want at this place, it's just not the right fit. And then it works out, no hard feelings. Um, and then you find somebody else. So that's where the short-term leases work better, in my opinion. When you st- when Usually when you're starting out with the tenant at first, and then if they prove themselves really good, then you could do a year, two years, or whatever you want. All right. Oh, and then proving your property. So this is where people have it all wrong. They sometimes think... Oh, I want the place to be beautiful and perfect and this and that. But it's a, you're only going to be, if you're doing house hack or even a nomad strategy, um, people, renters don't care the property is, has stainless steel appliances, has, you know, brand new, like IKEA cabinets that with a soft close that has all the bells and whistles that has, you know, a self cutting board. A, a gas, a smart gas stove that lights up when you get home, stuff like that. They don't care as long as you provide a clean place to live that has all the utility, all the things they need to li- li- live in a comfortable space that they could do. You know, just be at peace, a place to call home. They're gonna be fine. So you don't want to over improve your your house hack too, or your nomad. So think of it as you want it clean. You want it look to look nice in pictures, but you don't need, you know, what you would want if you're living there for 20 years and you want this perfect property that has vaulted ceilings, um, you know, spiral staircase that goes up to a party deck up top. You know, you don't need all that stuff. Even backyards too. You don't need like a gazebo back there with a, um, a fire pit. Um, I found tenants create their own fire pits if they really want to. They don't care. <laughs> they don't really yeah. care that, uh, again, uh, tenants just want a place to live that's comfortable for that time to live in there. They don't need fancy or what you think is best for you. That's where you have to take yourself out and say, okay, this place is good, clean. Um, I'll just maintain it for the year or two and then you know, improve it when I have to if things need to be improved, but keep it bare bones as possible. And you'll be fine. And then contractors, this is where, again, people sometimes get hung up. You don't need, if you go back to, you don't need to over improve your property. You just want to keep it stable, like just make it optimal for a, a place, whether it's roommate situation or other units, and improve things when you have to and fix things when you have to, but not go crazy and add a second deck to your back patio out there um and contractors 
the best sources are your friends or other investors or talk to your, the inspector. I found inspectors know a lot of contractors and um, even talk to Chris and Joe. They, they probably know some good contractors as well. And then you get the debate of licensed versus non-licensed. And that's when it comes to plumbing electrical and those types of contractor work, I would definitely get a licensed person. But when you're doing, you know, fixing a door hinge or, you know, adding, um, you know, uh, re redoing the floors or doing the baseboards, you don't need a licensed person for that. And then doing work yourself, this is where, yeah, Chris and Joe, do you have, um, you guys have time to, uh, put in new floors of your house? No, I don't have the time, <laughs> desire, energy, the skill, the knowledge. No, I'm, I am best served being here, doing webinars, teaching classes, working with with people on loans, and doing what I'm really good at. And uh, if I, if I did replace something, you would be able to spot it. You'd be able to walk in the house and be like, "Oh, Joe, re- replace that." You know, I can tell because <laughs> it's scuffed up and broken. Um, no, I think the value of having a professional is is highly understated. Very, very key. Yeah, and that's where. Um, I same way. Like the only thing I could do well is paint and change out outlets. Those are my two strengths, and that's about it. Um, so you, this really opportunity cost. Most people think, oh yeah, I could remodel my kitchen. I could put new cabinets up. I could replace my sink. I could put in a new dishwasher. But they're that realistically, you're not going to. For one, you're not going to do. You're not going to put in floors as well as someone that does floors for a living. You're not going to paint as well as someone that could paint for a living. You're not going to put baseboards in as someone that could do that for a living. No, no matter how good, how many YouTube videos you watch, you're still not going to be as good. Yeah, you might save a few bucks, but in the end, it's, in my opinion, better just to pay the price for professionals to do the work for you, unless you have a background in construction yourself or just love, you know, you have the time to do it. And most people don't. And then what do you do to add the most value? Um, easily the things that show well, because think of an appraiser, they're human. They like, you know, if you have nice landscaping, kitchen remodel helps. And then if they find a way to add bedrooms or bathrooms to the house, because the appraiser will compare it. If you add like two bedrooms and one bathroom, and it was a three bedroom, two bath, and now it's a five bedroom, three bath. So instead of comparing to the three bedroom, two bath comps, they'll compare it to the five bedroom, three bath comps. And that's how some quick ways to add value. But again, that's very advanced. And um, go to Chris and Joe's birth strategy classes for more about that. <laughs> yeah. And self managed property manager, that's again, uh, Chris and Joe. What's, why didn't you guys just self manage if you only have, uh, if this is so easy? Uh, you know what? I don't think it is easy. <laughs> and I, I, think, uh, I think managing your own property. Whether it's a property you're living in or whether it's a property that, you know, is across town, I think there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I think it goes back to exactly what you said, replacing floors. If I'm going to replace the floor, I want a guy that replaces floors all day, every day. If I'm going to manage properties, I want a person that manages properties all day, every day. And you know what? That's not me. I am open enough to say, I don't know anything about it. I'm not good at it. And I would probably screw it up. So the, the amount that I pay for my property manager is worth every penny. But on the flip side, one of my close friends and colleagues, Charles Roberts, he has always managed all of his properties and has enjoyed it and done really well with it. So I think it's got to be a, a personal choice. You got to look at the pros versus cons. Chris, what do you think? 
Yeah, I agree a lot with what you were saying, Joe. I mean, I think this comes down to, you know, um, what you, you know, if you enjoy doing it, like property management is something I loathe. So I'm not going to do it. And that's just the <laughs> stage where I'm at life. I don't like doing it. I'm not going to do it for the most part, if I can get out of it. Uh, secondly, I'm a big believer in, you know, specializing things. And even within, you know, being an agent, there are certain, you know, niches in there that I specialize in. I'm like, hey, great. This part of the uh, process or this type of property, that's not my strength. That's not my specialization. Let me bring in someone else to help out with that. Or let me, you talk to this person instead. And so I'm always about, hey, let me play to my strengths and what my likenesses are. And I do the same thing for everything else in life. So if it's a property manager, I want someone to say property manager to go out there and manage it because uh, they will do a better job than I will. Uh, and it's just one more thing off my plate that I can take care of because, uh, you know, that's that's what I want to do. Yeah. And then me personally, I love, I really do enjoy it. It's like fun. I think it's kind of like a challenge. And I like the underwriting aspect. I like finding dirt on people and seeing, you know, if I could, you know, create a really good environment for people to live in, um, if it's roommate tenants or just other separate unit tenants. And, you know, challenge myself to find the best tenants that stay the longest and that, you know, are the quietest and keep to themselves and not, you know, going through a lot of vacancies. That's really my end goal is to find the best, most qualified long-term tenants. And also put that 10% property management fee in your numbers too. Because I think long-term, even myself, I enjoy it now, but I can't say if I'll do this, you know, if I have five more properties, I don't know if I want to deal with that many tenants. And I'm probably going to need a property manager eventually. So it's always good to make sure your numbers still work with a 10% property management fee. I agree 100% with that. So I do have a promise for all the listeners out there. For every tenant that... All the stuff you learned today, for every tenant that you actually do sign, I promise you one free baby tiger from my personal collection. And actually, I keep them over in my backyard right now. So please reach out to me as soon as possible and get into the contact information. And I will provide each of you one free tiger, baby tiger with every signing. I kind of want to come rent one of your rooms just for the tiger. <laughs> that- now, well, well, we have a lot of people who'd be listening to this. And so what you got on the screen here, I, I can't remember how this came about, but um, you know, we, as we were preparing for this, we were obviously we joke around a lot. And, uh, Apparently, I'm the only person in the world that's not watched Tiger King yet. So Jeff and Joe were like me on Tiger King, and then Katie, one of our team members, uh, went and photoshopped Jeff's face on one of the characters from the show. I don't know who it was, but Joe, it's, uh, that's, Joe, that's Joe Exotic, the Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like your four pierce earrings and your and your baby tiger there, Jeff. Thank you. It <laughs> fits me well. <laughs> That is great. We'll definitely make sure we include that in the blog post and on everything we can ever print it on as well. <laughs> like I may go out there and just get like a billboard and park benches and put it on there. <laughs> I think that should be the cover of the new book. <laughs> That's even a better idea. I would like that. I feel very honored if that was the cover. <laughs> All right. Well, Jeff, uh, the presentation you gave tonight was just fantastic, man. Like, I learned lots, as you know, and everyone else knows, you know, Joe and I do not manage. I definitely learned a lot of the nuances there. And, man, I mean, hats off to you for, number one, executing on the stuff, and number two, for organizing it to communicate it, because there's one thing on doing it, and then there's a second thing on actually being able to go out there and 
teach other people how to do it. And you provided some great information. So I appreciate it. I know our listeners appreciate it. And I mean, this is one of the things that you can help people with if they have questions on some of these nuances, all this stuff, you're the guy to reach out to. And we'll definitely have your contact details on the website. So everyone can reach out to you and schedule a call to talk with you. Sweet. Appreciate it, Chris. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, Jeff, you got any um, final things you need to mention before we, before we end this one? Yeah, just uh, this, uh, I, you know, it was very thorough, but really once you develop the habits, uh, really good, it really comes down to being a good underwriter. Think of yourself as an underwriter and an investigator, and you're trying to find as much information you can about that person. And the better you are at that, the better tenants you'll have become uh, better, better applicants you have to go through and the better tenants you'll have at your properties. And in the end, you'll be a long-term success. And last thing I'll say, after hearing all the details you do, it reaffirms why I use a property manager <laughs> because that's a lot of work, man. So thank you. Yeah. That's a lot of work. But you know what? I think the, the payoff is worth it. I think your, your profits reflect uh, the work that you're putting in. It's risk versus reward or it's, it's time versus reward. And, and I think it is, it's really reflective in your level of success. I, I think it was just fantastic. Such a, a ton of just a wealth of information. I really appreciate you sharing with all of us. Yeah, thanks, Joe. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening. We've got a couple more modules as we wrap up for uh, this whole course here. So we'll see you in those next ones. Joe, Jeff, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, if you have any questions or need clarification, shoot me an email. Or if you want to grab a physical book copy of the Ultimate House Hacking Guide, also send me an email. My email is chris at denverinvestmentrealestate.com. A couple other services that we offer, if you need help putting together your investment plan and buying your first or your next house hacking property, reach out to me. That's what we specialize in. If you need help with lending and financing, reach out to Joe Massey. That's his specialty. And if you need help in stabilizing and operating your house act property, reach out to Jeff White, as that's his specialty. Now, all their contact details in the show notes. If you have trouble finding them or you just want to keep it simple, shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer all your questions and also connect you with Joe, Jeff, or whoever you need to talk to. All right. We'll see you next episode.